All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. I know Coach and I have been working on this interview for quite some time, but it's finally materialized. We are going to have Georgetown Baseball's head coach, Edwin Thompson, joining us today. So let's hit the intro music and we will get right into this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan and Harry, as always, and today we have a little bit of a special episode for you guys today. It is Georgetown Baseball's head coach I've gotten to know very well over the last year. Coach T, how are you doing today? Dylan, I'm doing great, man. It's great to be on. Excited to, to talk to your listeners and you and Harry. Uh, great to meet you and just looking forward to talking some baseball on a beautiful Friday here in Washington, D.C. Sounds great. It is a great day to be a Hoya, as we always say. And we're going to be getting into a lot of the Georgetown baseball team from the past year. Looking forward to this upcoming fall and spring season as well. Maybe a little bit of recruiting and analytics. And Coach T is going to be a great resource for all of you guys who are listening today. I think the first thing we want to get into is obviously Coach T's journey at Georgetown. He joined them two years ago, roughly now at this point. Year one was a little bit hindered by the COVID pandemic and sort of a tough beginning but net last year in 2022 really hit the ground running 32 wins going after six wins to 32 is a big improvement for the team and it's really a good compliment to coach T and the rest of the Georgetown baseball staff so coach if you want to take us through that whole process of how the team has grown as a whole from the 2021 season to 2022 and maybe building towards even bigger and brighter things in 2023 yeah you know it's funny um I got hired in September of 20 during COVID and I met my team March 27th of 2021. Uh, we had seven days to practice before we played VCU, Virginia Commonwealth, and we played UConn in the same week, uh, both two regional teams that year. And um, needless to say, I, I'm a, I feel I'm a pretty good and my, my staff's pretty good at what we do, but seven days to practice with no off season, no training. Um, and that was during COVID, right? So we didn't, we, it was hard to even know the guy's names. It was kind of a crazy dynamic. Uh, we all kind of got thrown into something that we all, we all knew it was going to be a challenge, but we just accepted that challenge. And like any Georgetown um, people in the university associated with it, we just we just kind of move forward. Oh, yes, we keep pushing forward. And uh, unfortunately, the year wasn't as successful as we'd hoped, but we lost nine games by two runs or less. So at the end of the year, you know, myself and staff, we said, hey, you know, we're we're, we're not that far off. It wasn't like, you know, we were getting blown out. It was just they, the other teams had more reps. They'd all fall. They helped. You know, we missed. We jumped in the middle of the year. So it was one of those deals where, we felt going into the fall of 2021 for the 22 season, it was like, okay, we're right there. So we added some pieces. We added, um, you know, 10 freshmen. We had 15 grad transfers. So it really increased our, our level of competition uh, and our depth because we just needed to play. We played everything we could, as much as we could. Uh, and I think one of those moments where we, we knew we were going to be kind of competitive was we hit five home runs in a game. Um, and we're like, we only hit six all of 2021. So we're like, <laughs> well, I think we got a chance to be okay, you know, and just depend on how we had some experience in them. You know, that was our strength and we kind of had enough to, um, to, to pull across. So it was kind of a unique journey to, to get to this point. And then obviously last year in 2022, um, you know, the largest turnaround NCA for that year from six wins to 32 was just, you know, truly special and to be a part of that, but it was just truly the kids in 2021 kind of laid the foundation of what we were going to do and moving forward. 
Yeah, and, and the offense in particular saw a large jump as, you know, last season they were one of the best in the entire country. What are some of the things that really catalyzed that jump and really made it so that you were able to, to become a really good baseball team? Maybe some well, of the things that go into yeah. coaching a baseball team that are more behind the scenes than that most outsiders don't really even think about when they, they look from, you know, outside. Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, is we kind of we kind of joke with, you know, hearing that Alan Iverson practice story, but like just having practice. I mean, it sounds cliche, but like being able to be with your guys in the fall is such an important component. Um, Coach McDougal, Julius McDougal and Brock Keener, our assistant, you know, our assistant coaches and they kind of run the offense. Um, they really established kind of what we do and how we do on a daily basis, obviously, as a framework from me. But from the day to day, um just the ins and outs. We just kind of, it's like, it's like building a house, right? You have to build a foundation first. You can't worry about hitting a breaking ball until your feet, you know, are in a good spot. You want to make sure you you know, your, your base is good before you start adding things. So that's kind of really the keys to the fall. And, and it's just a lot of repetition, to be honest, there's nothing, you know, glamorous about the work that goes in behind the scenes. It just, it takes work. It takes what it takes. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the process. We you know we have 45 days in the fall uh, of team practice. And then we have, probably another six weeks of small group work, which is um, just individual. So we really isolate those guys one-on-one settings. Um, we have three phases of our fall. Like we have a, you know, evaluation phase, a competitive phase, and then a development phase. And so we try to break those guys down based off their skill set. So for example, um, not everyone's a home run hitter. Well, in, in batting practice, sometimes you just have a general um, hitting plan. We try to specialize it towards what their skill set is for that day. So it's kind of like if you're a, uh, three point shooting and work on three point shots. If you're going to drive down the hole, you're going to work on close. So we try to do that same thing with, with the offense. So if you bunt and hit and run a lot, you kind of work on that. If you drive the ball to the ballpark, obviously you can't work on that, but you just have certain drills that are geared towards that. And then you have guys that kind of do both. So a lot of that just kind of depends on the, on the, each, the, the players we have. And then we kind of build from there and that, that build that house as we kind of speak about it. And then from there, just uh, getting out there and competing. And then obviously a great thing about next year's slash this year's team, depending on how you look at it, is that a lot of the offensive players are returning. Most of the core is still intact. I believe it's everyone except one player, two players is returning from last year's team, which is a great sign to see. But another interesting about the team is that the pitching staff did have a bit of turnover, but there's a lot of, I know, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but there's a lot of interesting uh, sort of graduate seniors coming in as well as a bunch of new incoming freshmen that look really interesting about the upcoming team. So sort of, can you talk about that nice balance of how the offense is remaining largely intact as well as the pitching staff has new exciting prospects and sort of how those two together are leading to a very interesting upcoming season? Yeah, we, you know, on paper, we lost Ethan Stern, um, senior, was an all-conference player for us positionally um, and who played every day. But, you know, outside of that, uh, we lost some key components that were seniors, you know, Tony Barreca. Uh, who's on staff with us right now, uh, Nolan Matsko, <clears throat> some really good complimentary players, guys that really impacted our games at different times throughout the year. Evan Blum, you know, so we, we lost some some players, but, you know, our core, like when you look at a team and you have, you know, nine out of your top 10 hitters or whatever it may be, you know, on paper, you're starting off with a pretty good starting point with, you know, with um, after hitting 98 home runs, you know, we still have a good chunk of those guys back. And so that part's good. And I think there's a comfort level there. You have, you kind of get, I think, um, we've added, like you said, some high school players and some, some transfers like any school has now at this point. So, uh, those kind of, we're just kind of blending those guys in this fall and kind of seeing how they kind of, you know, develop and blend and, 
you know, we'll know a lot more next week when we uh, play Rutgers uh, in our first fall exhibition game. Um, but our pitching staff, you know, like you said, I mean, we lost. Um, I mean, you could argue as as big of a loss as you can possibly get as far as a number of innings. It's like the opposite, right? We lost uh, Friday, Saturday, Nolan, Nolan Matsko, Carter Bosch, Angelo Tonis, um, Anthony Redford. I mean, we lost some really, really um, large components of our, of our pitching staff. Um, but I think like anything, any coach, you want to kind of add guys that we think can add value. Um, so we added some guys, some transfers. I think we probably have five or six guys that have already played um, college baseball. And then we have some some high school kids that we think are, you know, some guys are really talented. So uh, that that that's what the falls for to kind of figure a lot of that out and kind of see what we're going to do and how we're going to get there. So, you know, at what point in your life, at what age did you really think that you want to become a coach? Was it something where you wanted to be a player and then, you know, maybe your career didn't pan out as you would have hoped. So you're like, Hey, I still want to be involved with the game. I, so you decided to transition more into the coaching and the administrative side or, was being a, a coach for a good college baseball team or a good baseball team in general, was that always your plan growing up? Yeah. You know, I think my plan, like every kid was playing the big leagues. Right. And so, um, but when I'm hitting uh, below 200 in, in independent baseball, it kind of was real reality kind of starting to check in of like, maybe I'm not as good as I, I hoped I'd be, but I was also grateful to be a professional baseball player. And even though it was a small, you know, small stop. Um, but I think even prior to that, my senior year, I got hurt. Um, going into my from basketball season I got hurt um in my spring of my senior year or winter time I guess and so I was out for like the first three to four weeks in preseason of practice and so I'm, I'm from J Maine a very small town and um we have you know didn't have a lot of you know coaches so um you know they work different jobs so the assistant coaches were not always there so the head coach was there and you know, I was like, yeah, I'll help out the younger guys. I'll help out, you know, the freshman or the JV team or whatever it was. And that kind of started, kind of sparked my interest, I think. And then, um, you know, in college, I got hurt again, senior year, same thing. Um, I had back surgery in the fall of my, uh, going into my, my last year. And so I wasn't able to do much that fall and even early preseason, same thing. Uh, and then that following year, I was playing uh, minor league baseball and the offseason, I was a middle school basketball coach. My first job was middle school JV basketball, 10 years old, 10, 11 year old kids. Um, and, and really that was kind of the, 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 I think the initials, like, I like this, you know, I didn't know what, how I was going to get to that. I thought I was gonna be a basketball coach to be honest, because I did high school varsity basketball, uh, AAU. I did the whole circuit for a while before I got into full-time coaching baseball. But uh, I think you just kind of, at a young age, I, both my parents were educators. So teaching and coaching was kind of in my, in my, in my environment. And so that's kind of when I think when you at some point, the bat and the ball is going to be put down. Right. So in any sport, you, you have to kind of figure out what's next. And I think that was kind of the moment for me was just in the offseason uh, minor league baseball. I was like, I really love leading a team, um, even though they're 10, 11 years old. I treated them like they're a college baseball a program. And I felt that we were like Duke or Maryland or whatever, like Georgetown. Right. So like, it was like we were high level, but we were 10, 11 years old. So um, the best compliment I think I got was that year, the AD who who's like, you're running this like a college program because he'd coached in college. And I was like, no, oh. you know, I never thought about coaching college, to be honest. And it was never like in my thought process. And then it kind of just evolved from there. And I kind of just, you know, I took off and did was on, on my coaching journey. How do you think your playing career is, has helped you make the jump into coaching and has helped you as a head coach? A, a lot. You know, I went to three different colleges you know, so different reasons, you know, and whatnot. So I think I'm able to relate to a lot of the players we get from transfers. Uh, I can relate to them and the fact that I know 
challenges. You know, I wasn't always a starter. So I kind of, I was a starter, obviously my last couple of years, but like my first couple of years. So I know how to relate to those players that are not playing every day. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm always honest with the with our, with our kids in our program. Uh, and I think having a, an idea of, of, you know, again, a small uh, minor league baseball career, if you will, uh, I know at least what it looks like and how, how, how much of a grind that is. Uh, but I always look at that and I tell kids, you know, are you really going, is it a grind when you're playing baseball? Is that really that difficult? Yeah. The, the, the time that you put in an effort is, is real, but the unbelievable experience you have to be a, a pro. So like, that's kind of like the nugget, like I kind of put out there to our kids. Um, but I think that's helped just having those conversations. And this is my 19th year coaching college baseball. So I've kind of been very fortunate to have um, a wide range of experiences and, and people that I've been able to co coach. Um, so that part, I think, uh, has allowed me to kind of be in a, have, I can relate to my players in a pretty good way um, to help them in, in different things that they have along their journey because everyone kind of goes through it differently at different times. And then obviously before getting to Georgetown, you also head coached at Eastern Kentucky University and also coached at uh, Duke University as well. So sort of how do you think those stops in your journey before getting to Georgetown have helped you out now become the head coach of the Hoyas? Well, I think, you know, I've been blessed. You know, like I said, my first job was middle school basketball coach. Uh, I was a high school varsity basketball coach. I coached girls basketball. I did AAU, college football, uh, middle school track. You know, I was a teacher for four years as well as doing other things. So every step, you know, I've been University of Maine at Parmington was my first job. Bates College was my first head coaching job. Um, then I went from there to Duke and I really got a, a, a really crash course of what it likes to, to do things at a high level. I mean, I was a pitching coach with Marcus Stroman. So like, you know, I was pretty decent uh, as, as a pitching coach. Every Friday night, I was assistant pitching coach. I always like to give the ball to the guy and say, <laughs> I was pretty good, right? You know, he did, he, did, he did the rest. But I learned a lot really, really quickly at a high level, you know, recruiting at a power five, coaching at a power five, coming from division three. It was like a crash course and everything. So it was really, really beneficial. And then I went to Georgia State uh, for three years, was pitching coach and recruiting coordinator there. And then obviously last, you know, prior to Georgetown at Eastern Kentucky, which we kind of rebuilt that program a little bit. And so, you know, I've been very fortunate. Every step has helped me in the journey uh, differently from recruiting nationally at Duke, academic kids to help me here to build my own program at Bates and, and, and Eastern Kentucky. So, uh, and then just recruiting, I think that's, uh, but you learn along the way, all the coaches that I've worked with and all the players that I've been able to coach, um, you just kind of learn things. And each year you kind of add things to your, your, you know, toolbox, if you will, um, to be able to have success, um, at least in preparation and an organization to help, um, you know, that run, run things as best you can. How is it like coaching a guy like Stroman, someone who would eventually become a first round pick and then would flourish in the MLB? How just like, how was it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like anything, you hear a lot of cliches with coaches, like, you know, he was our best player. He's most competitive. He, he wanted to, to do everything at a high level, good academically, good off the field. Right. I mean, those things are no, like those things happen. That's how it works. There's no secret. I mean, he worked, he was one of the most, competitive kids I've ever coached and most hardest working kids I've ever coached. I, mean, I always tell the story at camps that I work I mean, every, every day he's working on something after practice every day. And so just because he wanted it. And so the success that he's having, I'm not surprised. I mean, I mean, he's, I'm not surprised at all. He, one, he believes himself too, is when you believe in yourself, that that's one thing you have to actually put the work behind that to, to actually, you know, be in a situation to have success. So I think that part of it, um, it's always fun when you see kids reach their dreams. I think I've had, you know, a handful of kids, you know, or so 40 guys, maybe or so plus, I don't know the number play professionally. 
But for me, my, my, my love is seeing kids, you know, get, get that best job, that new job or get married or have a child. Like those things are also why I get into coaching to impact young people. And so for me, when you see guys like that, no matter what field they're at, whether they're going to be a police officer, going to be a CEO of a company, you see those same traits. So no matter what type of kid I'm talking to coaching or recruiting or talking to, I can relate to them because I can say, hey, this is how it works for your field. I've seen it. I know people that are doing it. Same thing with Marcus, obviously in the big league. So it's fun. I mean, obviously every fifth day you see him out there and when he, you know, like I've seen him pitch, I don't know how many times over his career, but in, in the big leagues, it's always fun. And I, I take a small, like a prideful moment to say I helped in some capacity, whether it be hitting him ground balls and PFP so he can make those gold gub plays, you know, along his way, or, or just seeing him just being a, a good husband. I mean, a good father at this point now in his life and just being a good human. So that, that, that part's fun to see that. Absolutely. 100%. Then when you also think about, since you did mention a little bit of the recruiting and helping out the future generation, obviously we can't get into the specifics about Georgetown baseball's recruiting process and anything like that, but sort of, do you have any advice for kids who are just at, uh, at high school right now? Maybe they're sophomores or juniors and they're looking to play at the next level at college baseball, sort of as a head coach in general, what advice could you give them in sort of how can they achieve their next goal? And that's playing at college baseball. Yeah, I think like anything, you want to be the best version of yourself in the moment you're at. I mean, you, you know, I always tell the story. You can't be try to be Aaron Judge or whoever is your favorite player at the time if you're not at that point physically or developed. I mean, you got to be the best version of you. And so, like, we try to tell our guys, just just work at your craft. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, at the end of the day, all the other things matter. But, like, if you don't get better, if you're not a, you know one of your better players in your team or your current team you're in, whether it be a high school team or a travel team, like you have to be honest with yourself and say, I need to work on this to get better, to be like that player. Or, and if you are the best player, okay, well, there's other players out there around the country that are just as good or if not better. So that has to be a driving force and be self-motivated. I think that's always going to be the case. Anything you do uh, in life and in school, um, the more you can do that, the better off you're going to be. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing I tell kids, like, don't get caught up into what everyone else is doing. Focus on your journey. You know, focus on your journey, the ability to to improve and to 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 grow. Um, and then as you kind of, you know, to, you kind of get to that point where you're in a process of maybe getting recruited. Well, now you're in a situation where you have some options and that's all you can ask for down the road is to your grades got to be in good space. No matter what school it is, the first question most college coaches will ask is how your grades, you know, to the high school coach. You know, how, how do they compete? What kind of team are they? You know, those things matter. And the more that they can. Um, players can understand that and, and, and the matrix and all those things, they do matter. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's how you, how you operate, and how you function. Those, those are just as important. And since we have a lot of fans and, you know, one of the, the biggest controversies on this podcast is the role of analytics in baseball. Yeah. How do you use analytics and, you know, kind of juxtapose it with the eye test in your evaluations of players and how you use it for development? Well, it's like anything. If I wasn't using it, I'd be silly, right? Because it's out there. It's kind of like, you know, you can use, um, you know, an iPhone for most of your day, or you can use other other means to, to function. Well, I'm going to use both, right? I'm going to use what's my most comfortable. I'm going to write notes down on, on a handwritten note, but I'm also going to use my phone to to do all the things that we do with our phones. And so I think same thing with analytics. The, the more that you're able to um, utilize this, the, the information that's out there, that's one part of it. And the other part of it is how to utilize that information to help our players or, or, your, or, your, or your individual development. You know, we have a great analytics team at Georgetown and they're so, they're so much behind the scenes, but they're so important, the information that we have for me to help make decisions, to help grow our players and help develop them. Like that's what it's about. I think 
the teams and organizations, if you look at baseball right now, that are able to do both. And I don't think you can do one one or the other. I think if some teams or organizations are all in on one on the other, you kind of lose that natural balance and that natural flow of a game and the practice. Like, you know, and I think that part of it is is important to understand is you have to have them numbers because they're out there and you, but you have to use them in a way to help your team. Not every, not every player needs them, needs that information. Not every program needs them, but they need it. You need to have a blend to help that along that journey. I mean, that, that's how I feel about it. I think with the amount that I talk to him on a daily basis, coach Cape would probably get upset with me if I didn't shout him out for doing a great job with us on the analytics crew, talking daily and sort of getting in a hands-on approach. I know we mentioned coach McDougal and coach Keener who also use the analytics. I know there's a couple of guys working directly with, uh, Coach Keener on the catching side of things, but I will give Coach Capen a nice little shout out because I know he's working hard and all of that with the analytics as well. Oh yeah, no, George Capen, our pitching coach, um, you know, he's, when I hired him, he had the background, he had the blend that I love. He knew the analytics, he knew how to utilize, he knew how to grow the guys in the, from the pitching standpoint. Um, but at the same time, he knew how to make sure that there was certain standards that we want to uphold. And so he has a great blend. I think that's, again, when you put together a staff, you want to have staff members that are aware of all the information. And I'm not an expert at all the information that's out there. I'm not um, something that obviously it's a constant work trying to learn, um, you know, because 19 years ago when I started, they didn't have analytics. It was just, you know, you got to compete and get better. And how do you get them there? Right. And so that's ultimately the goal is to get, get the team to where you want them to be at the right time. So utilizing all the skills that we have and all the ability that we have, especially at Georgetown, we're very fortunate to have, you know, and like guys like yourself and other 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 members of the, of the team that just are really so in, in impactful to our organization. Absolutely. And then there is one phrase that I know I hear often with Georgetown baseball, and that's the staff over self mentality for people who don't really know what that means and sort of how that can be applied to a program. If you want to briefly say sort of what does staff over self mean to you and to the rest of the coaching staff? Well, I think it's simple. I mean, it, you kind of, you, you know, any organization, you can talk about yourself, yourself, yourself. It's not about me. I'm the head coach and that's my job. But, you know, we have 60 people in the organization and they're all important and we all have a role to do. We all have a job to do and, and we want to do it well. And I think at the end of the day, you, you can't get caught up into your own self, your own numbers, or your own, your own success individually, because without the team, there's nothing there behind it other than just an individual moment, right? And that's why, no offense, you can go, go play an individual sport. That's why you play team sports. And I think our, our philosophy is always going to be, well, we got to make sure that we're in a good space to have success. Well, how does that work and how does that look? The more that we are able to have guys that are selfless, guys that will um, will do the little things, right? Like the little things that will get the big things taken care of, that is always going to take care of. So the staff over self is just being able to do that. Like it's not about, it's about the team, it's about the organization, not just about me. So that, that's kind of where that comes from. And that's Coach Cape and he, got, he came up with that. So that <laughs> I give him all the credit in the world. So as we begin to wind down, what are your thoughts on kind of the general MLB? What's going on right now? We have a lot of records being broken or being about to be broken. Obviously, as a baseball junkie, you know baseball and you know the MLB. You know, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now? Who do you think is going to win the World Series? You know, any bold takes, anything like that? <laughs> well, I think, you know, Major League Baseball is at a really, really cool spotting because you have um, finally this this infusion of youth and talent that are so talented, guys that are really, really good players. I mean, some of you're watching some of the historical runs and some of the historical players, maybe, you know, in our generation, potentially with different, you know, generational type talents with Otani and you got Mike Trout and you have Aaron Judge doing some things like that. But just 
I think the overall quality of play, you know, I think has definitely improved as a whole. I think the ability that um, teams have had to kind of develop, um, you look at uh, like, like I, we live in Baltimore, so we have, or in, I live in Maryland, but like, you know, they look at the Orioles. I mean, they, they were a team that was last year and last couple of years were just not even a thought of, and now they're at least in their mix for the wild card. And you, so you see that some of these small market clubs that are, you know, you still have that are in the mix. And I think that's, again, it goes back to the analytics. It goes back to player development. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you know, being a mid-major ourselves, it's fun to watch those organizations have success because it's like, okay, there's a model out there that's going to work. And uh, and at the end of the day, you know, which team is going to kind of evolve and, and be in the best best space? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a, it's it's competitive. I think you look at the teams that are out there. Obviously, look at the Dodgers having a great year, a historical year, and, you know, how will they shake out? You know, you got the Mets. I know Dylan's excited about the Mets. And so, um, you know, I don't know who you like, Harry, but, um, you know. Cincinnati, unfortunately. Yeah, so, you know, and I, again, I'm, I'm a, I was a Reds fan. I am a Reds fan in the sense where we lived there for five years and, and, and outside of Cincinnati. So my daughter's first game was at the Reds. So I'm always kind of, you know, uh, my heart tugs a little bit towards the Reds. And uh, But, you know, when you see Joey Votto in the stands, I mean, just I think there's like there's just so many cool things going on. I think we can kind of get caught up in all the different changes that are coming. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the, the, the players are making the game and, and it, it, as, as you know, that fun, making it fun is, is, is what it needs to be, but it is fun. I mean, when you really watch them and, and the excitement and the, the talented players that are in the game uh, and that are coming behind it, it's a lot of fun. Who's going to win? I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> Dodgers are going to be in the Dodgers Yankees road series. That's everyone would probably want on paper, right. From a, outside of Dylan here. Um, but <laughs> You, you know, I mean, I don't know. It will be interesting to see how things shake out. The playoffs are always, you know, the best time to watch baseball because I think it just, it's such a high level stuff. From a coaching standpoint, I see how managers make moves when they make moves. So it's a really learning thing for me every year. We look forward to it. Um, our players look forward to it. I think it's just a great time. So I don't know. Um, it's just, there's some really talented teams and the ones that ultimately pitch and play defense down the stretch were the ones that win it. So, um, I don't know. I haven't checked who the stats are, but I know the Dodgers are pretty good. So um, we'll see how that shakes out when it matters the most. But whoever has the best bullpen, I think will kind of be one of those teams that will kind of come out of it pretty good. I like that. And then obviously as a coach, there's probably a couple of players across the major leagues that you look at and say, oh, that's a model player. That's someone that I want my guys to look up to and not model their game after, but see how they're doing it and sort of try to take little things from it. And we'll exclude Marcus Stroman from this one because there's probably maybe a little bias in there. but. Yeah. Um, are there any players that you sort of say that's a great guy that sort of younger players, whether it's high school or college, should look up to? Yeah, I mean, there's a young player that I mean, I again, I'm biased. I, you know, I'm getting to the point now where I recruit a lot of these kids mm-hmm. that are in the big leagues. You know, I've coached them or know knew them or whatever. Team USA, different things. But like Michael Harris, the guy that uh, got caught up with the Braves this year, I had a chance to get to know really well through the recruiting process uh, when I was at Eastern Kentucky, and and really, you know, again. Um, saw his journey. I mean, uh, he was, a, he was a, a not rated, not highly rated kid, freshman, sophomore year. Um, and now Elmson just kind of took off, but he just he got in love with his craft and let got better and better and better. Obviously had talent, but like, you know, he was kind of like under the radar. And I think that's just a great example for the, the majority of people um, out there. Like we're not always going to be the blue star five chip, whatever player. Sometimes you have to be the player that's kind of under the radar. Then all of a sudden gets an opportunity. And then it's, what are you gonna do with that opportunity once you get it? And I think that's kind of like what his story was. And so like seeing him play with a smile on his face, you know, being playing hard and obviously having success, 
that's what I want our guys to do is just enjoy the game, enjoy the process, enjoy having fun. Like it, it just, it's a hard game. So when you see players, whoever it is smiling, just having a good time, Lindor is a guy like that. He plays with such a passion, like his energy is good. Um, and he, and he does it in a way, obviously a high level. So I think any players like that, that do things in that matter, uh, you can tell this genuinely love playing the game, which is again, a large majority of the major league baseball players, but you can kind of tell the ones that are out there for a paycheck or kind of on their own program. But like those guys that are team players that are all in, do whatever it takes staff over self like that. That's kind of what gets exciting for me to see players like that. Awesome. Well, obviously coach, we appreciate all of the insight you've given us over this last half an hour from Georgetown baseball to recruiting, to analytics, to the major leagues, to some Stroman and Michael Harris stories. Harry, you got anything else to throw in? In fact, Coach and I have the same birthday, June 2nd. Look at Actually, that. it's June 12th, so that's June wrong. June 12th? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's <laughs> hey, all right. Wikipedia gave me faulty information. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can update it. June 12th for all the fans out there. They want to update birthday wishes. But, uh, no, this is great. You guys are – I love what you guys do. I love you. I love your energy and your passion for the game and just growing the game. And um, for all you listeners out there, make sure you spread this out here as many many platforms you possibly can because these guys are doing great what they do and they have a great platform but they have a great skill set and that's really sometimes when you guys are still in college it's 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 not it's rare so guys keep working keep pushing and i'm excited to see how this thing continues to grow thank you so much and obviously looking forward to seeing you in the next upcoming days of practices and all the fun things ahead because it's a great time to be a hoya i think that's a pretty always gonna be a good time to be a hoya (laughs) Awesome. So thank you so much, Coach Harry, and I will be right back. But for Coach T, the side is retired. Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SideRetiredPod in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to content, including the New York Mets, New York Yankees, and Big Time Rush. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for the rest of today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Well, Harry, I've been looking forward to this episode for a good almost year now at this point. Coach T and I go back and forth on a weekly basis, trying to figure out when to do this podcast, aside from working on a daily basis on Georgetown Baseball. What are your thoughts on meeting Coach T? I thought it was really cool. Uh, I also learned the dangers of, you know, only using Wikipedia because sometimes you'll get faulty information. And for our fans out there, it is Mr. Dylan Campion's birthday today. So happy birthday to him. Thank you. And then obviously make sure to check out the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube, and all the other fun places we have content to check out more interviews with Cubs top prospect Matt Mervis, as well as a bunch of other great stuff. But thank you so much to Coach T for joining us. Great day to be a Hoya. And with that said, the side is retired. <laughs>